Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, president of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Tuesday, June the 28th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 23. We just got done seeing how the Lord provides that the Lord provided a ram when Isaac was to be sacrificed. And obviously that points us to how the Lord provides a savior for you and me. Isaac carried up wood, went up to the top of the mountain, the one and only son, the beloved son. And that is points us once again to Jesus, which is why we have to continue into chapter 23 to put on our Christ goggles because some of this that makes sense for whatever reason. Sometimes we wonder why Moses put some of the details he did, but ultimately we will see Christ. So as we see this today, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome Pastor Terry Finnern of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Miltona, Minnesota. As you notice, we have the same last name. Pastor Finnern has been on a number of time before this, and he's also happens to be my father. Close enough to Father's Day, I suppose, a week and a half away. But throughout the rest of this study, I will be referring to him as Dad. So just you are prepared for that. So Dad. Happy Pentecost, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're enjoying our time out in Vermont, but it's always good to talk to you and be on your program. Yeah, we'll see how it goes today. <laughs> so so tell our <laughs> listeners why you're in Vermont, not a common state that people just kind of end up in the summertime. At least not from the Midwest. We don't end up there. Why are you in Vermont right now? Yeah, well, your sister Krista came out here when she was in college, spent two summers at our Lutheran camp, Sunrise by Spoon Lake, and you followed her the next two years. So that was our first taste of New England. And then after that, she she came out back out here and she met a young man, Keegan, and uh, they were working together at the Vermont Youth Conservation Corps, and they found the love, and they got married, and this is where they're at. And they have two daughters, Lux, who is with me here in our apartment, and also Ethel is here. And so we make our trip out to Vermont every summer. We always have things to bring out, and then when I'm out here in Vermont, we go to a, a place that sells maple syrup equipment, and we load our van up and go back. So we are here visiting Lux and Ethel and Krista and Keegan. And uh, staying in their apartment on their hobby farm area. And so we're here and we'll be here for another strong week and a half. And then we'll get back to Minnesota. But that's why we're here to visit family. And it is not the place that you drive out and drive through. It's what well, you drive to because it's kind of up in the northeast and next to New Hampshire and Maine and it's a beautiful part of the country. So that's why we're here. Have you gone to the place where they, where they filmed Newhart or Bob Newhart show yet? Well, we haven't gone through and we've driven by two or three times, you know, and it always looks different than it does on TV, but it's, and we thought once in a while, we, once in a while, we thought maybe we should stop and stay there, but you know, you get kind of disappointed because the set uh, they use to, for the, the television program is not the way it looks like on the inside. The outside, it, it looks pretty close, but we have driven by it. Yeah, that's oh, correct. There you go. I guess yep. I never asked that question. So anyways. Yeah. Back on track today, we are here to study Genesis chapter 23. And Dad, as we do that, can you begin our time in prayer? 
Yeah, we can do that. Thank you. Gracious God, we are members of your family and we're members of earthly families as well. And as we look at Abraham and Sarah's family from the Old Testament, we're reminded, Lord, of all the promises you made to them that were fulfilled by you through them. As we are gathered together in this place with our family in Vermont, and as you are there with your family in Minnesota, coming back from your vacation, and the broader picture of the family of Christ in this church, uh, we know that although we are not always together physically, our hearts are always joined together in love of our Lord and his love for us. And so we are looking at Abraham and Sarah and also the reality of Sarah's death and how that changed the perspective of Abraham and what his life was going to be. Uh, we look at how, indeed, even though they were blessed in so many ways, like all of us, death eventually will take took them and also will take us. But it's for that reason that the resurrection of Christ is so precious. For in Jesus we shall be together in eternity. But until then, you promise to walk with us and to provide for us. So for all of our listeners and all of the family of Christ around the world, we simply place them, Lord, into your hands for safekeeping. And Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Amen. Reminder, if you have any questions for us today concerning Genesis chapter 23, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. We begin by hearing the word of God. Genesis chapter 23, it'd be 20 verses, and we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We hear the word of our Lord. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is, the Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up for the, for, from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites and the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me, Ephron the son of Zoar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of the field, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and, the, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. Of all who went into the gate of the city, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight a current weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was in the east of Mamre, 
the field which the cave that was in it and the trees that were in the field throughout this whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites. Before all who went at, in at the gate of the city, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of our Lord this morning. And Pastor, Dad, as we look at this, it there's a lot of details and this past week we had last week, especially we had a number of pastors who just kind of said, you know, it's really interesting how Moses inspired by the Holy spirit to write these words really gives unique details and it's all done in a context. So how do you want to start us off as we see this, I would say unique context of details in chapter 23. Yeah. You know, the section in Genesis, you know, you have all these details and uh, you just want to have gone through the Isaac story and the Ram and all of that. And all of a sudden you get to the end of chapter 22 and you have that interesting phrase where Moses starts talking about Abraham's brother and all of Abraham's brother's kids. And he lists all of them. And then, then he goes into the fact that Sarah dies. And the interesting thing is that after 23 is done, then he, he talks about, goes and talks about Abraham getting old and being blessed by God. And then Abraham sends his servant to back to their home country to bring a bride for Isaac. And so the servant brings back his brother, you know, Abraham's brother's niece or granddaughter, Rebecca. And so what happens is that chapter 23 is kind of the in-between, you know, Isaac's sacrifice. And then you end up with referring to Abraham's family. And then you have Sarah is dying, and then you and go back to the fact that Abraham's family is going to be start to multiply with Asa, and now Isaac's wife was Rebecca. So between those two stories, you find the death of Sarah. And for me, the the promises of God were given to Sarah and Abraham, or Sarah and Abram, back in chapter twelve. You know, you have the reality of God comes to Abram, who is not a follower of God, comes to Abram. And he sets them aside and says, I'm going to bless your family. You're going to have a great name. You're going to have great possessions. And also you're going to have many descendants. And so as he made those promises to Abram, then he said, well, I have one more blessing I want to give to you. And that is the blessing that from your family, the whole world is going to be blessed. And obviously we see that as a promise of a savior that would be coming from Abraham's family. So you had these two people, Abram and had been blessed by God and were blessed by God. And the reality is that they went through a number of, they went through a number of situations and the son where no child was born to them, but they were indeed being blessed by God in so many ways. And so as all those situations began to unfold, all of a sudden you find out that Sarah dies. And the reality is that, you know, the blessings of God in our life are over overwhelming, but that doesn't mean we are going to be prevented from dying one day ourselves. And so this, this story in 23 kind of brings everything to a screeching halt again for Abram. You know, when one of our loved ones dies or in our churches, one of our members dies, their family, they have to make all kinds of arrangements and everything changes. 
because that loved one dies. And that is what took place with Abraham. You know, Sarah dies and he has to make these arrangements. And number one was, where am I going to bury my wife? So it's an example of what death does in people's lives. It stops everything and it redirects our attention and our thoughts to make some decisions which we normally would never have to make and we hope we will not have to make for a long time. So chapter 23 takes everything that's been going on in Abraham and Sarah's life and brings it to a screeching halt. And after Sarah is buried, now the attention moves from Sarah and Abraham, it moves to Isaac and Rebekah. So this is kind of a transition to the next generation of, that's laid out now with Isaac and not with Abraham and Sarah. So that's kind of where this goes. And it's interesting how Abraham has to make these decisions and decide where he's going to bury his wife. And it's a unique situation for sure. So that's kind of where I look at this whole story in chapter 23. And it's very important for us because one of the things that, that I learned as a pastor, and you see this in your own families, is that when you lose a loved one or you lose a beloved member or really lose anybody in the church, is that you're right, things stop. And so if you have a, you know, a well thought out plan, some kind of vision and mission that you're like, okay, we do this and then we do this and then we do this. And or you have a financial plan as a family, or you have a plan to go on vacation, whatever it might be, is that when there is a death, which is reality, this is very clear why put your Christ goggles on whenever there's death, because where there is Christ, there is life. And that's very much so what we have Christ laying over this text today is that in real life, a, a death or a sickness, whatever it might be, it stops everything in your tracks and it reminds you what's important. It reminds yeah. you of our need of a savior. And it's a disaster as far as like any kind of well-oiled machine that we all want to have, but it also makes you stop reprioritize and you see that explicitly in this text and that that's why i think it's it's so great a great way to start for us to look at this is the bible's very earthy the bible's very real and this might seem like a chapter that we tend to look over and say well you know that's not that exciting you're not gonna put this one in the kids books you know all those kind of things you're not gonna put you're not gonna put this story into the confessions or something like that but it is very important because it's very much so how we live our lives is that you can be going on this gravy train and then someone dies and in a good way, we have to stop. We have to grieve. Even talks about that here, that he grieves, mourns the loss of his bride and that's our own lives as well. So thank you for that insight. Any other thoughts before we start digging in a few verses? No, I think what happens, you know, we come out every summer for vacation and we uh, we go up to Burlington where to our church for worship where Pastor um, Matthew Rasmussen is the pastor. And so it's kind of neat to sit in the pew and listen. And he always does a great job of bringing a new insight into his messages. But it also gives us a chance to sing some hymns that maybe I hadn't thought about. But you begin to put together a list of hymns that you want to have for your funeral. And it's kind of neat to hear hymns show up all of us. And that would work well for my funeral. And, you know, I've been doing that in the last number of years. And I'll say to mom, you know, that's one for my funeral. There are so many great hymns, and that's all part of that planning ahead for the grieving when it takes place. But it's always under the umbrella of Christ and his resurrection promises. So it's this, this, this chapter, these verses of chapter 23, they, you know, they stopped Abraham in his tracks as they had to make decisions, but also 
it does stop us in our tracks. If you think about decisions we need to make about our own funeral or funeral of a loved one. So it is, it's a, it's an interesting story. And, but it also shows that throughout this story, the credibility of Abraham and the credibility of God's promises are precious because what Abraham does is whatever decision he made, he wanted to help them understand that there are no circumstances where a person can doubt Abraham's intention or God's intention. And we'll be looking at that as you go on in this text as well. So yeah, it's a great story. It's not a story that we spend a whole lot of time reading through, but it's a great story. It has a lot of interesting deals that Abraham has to deal with and the death of his wife. So let's dig into a few verses here because it is, there's just a few small things that are quite fascinating. So let's begin in verse one. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Two things that we started off. First of all, unlike how we often will see this in our culture today, that they reveal Sarah's age. <laughs> so yeah. the only time in scripture that a woman's age is listed. So I guess that is a tradition that often will continue for today. <laughs> but yeah. Sarah lived 127 years. I mean, this was a significant time after the birth of Isaac and well over 30 years for sure. And, right. and it highlights a saint, you know, a blessed and faithful person. Although she laughed at the Lord, how many times have we laughed at the Lord and she dies and it, it yeah. very much. So there's times in the scripture where it just says they die and then it moves on. But this one really does this wonderful stop lament grief portion where Abraham stops what he's doing. And it says to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Dad, right. anything that you want to share in those first two verses? I think there's a lot we could pull out of that for right. our world today. I think, you know, again, she's the only, if she's the only woman in scripture that is identified when she died by her age, 127 years old, having Isaac at around 90, that puts her at about Isaac, about 37 years old. And the reality was that as you see how that plays out, there's no information on how she died. It sounds as if it was a fairly rapid because Abraham hadn't, hadn't been making preparations. It happens in Hebron. There's a lot of things, a lot of things took place at Hebron in the Old Testament. And as you look at that, Abraham has to find a resting place for his wife. And so he begins by grieving for her. And that's something between him and her as he grieves and as he cries and as he does all those things. There's a lot of there's a lot of Jewish history or Israelite history in here that I don't understand as far as customs. But you can understand how deep the love that he had for his wife, that he grieved for her. We don't know how she died. The reality was you'd have to bury someone fairly rapidly after they die because of decomposition. But he took time to grieve. He had to answer a lot of questions about what you know, where to bury her. But he started by grieving. And, you know, all of those years that he, Abraham and Sarah were together, you know, they laughed and they celebrated. But now when one's gone, there's a grieving that takes place. And he took time to do that. He realized how important that was. So that was a, a testimony to her love. Don't know uh, what took place. We know that things happened pretty quick after she did. It, it is interesting to me, too, because often when we hear someone's death, that the first question we want to ask is how they die. 
And, right, and that, I, right. I don't think that's not wrong. I, I think we have no. to be careful not to always ask that question. But here, it very much so highlights something that we need to always consider is not so much, okay, how did Sarah die? But that Abraham grieved. And may yeah. we be the, may we do the same when we lose someone that we care about, or we know of somebody who lost a loved one. And so dad, as you look at that, why is it important for someone who loses a loved one to grieve and maybe weep, not everyone does, and to mourn as Abraham begins our uh, chapter 23 here? Well, I think, you know, you can jump into the New Testament where Lazarus died and Jesus comes in, you, you know, they say he died and he cries. You know, to, to the credibility of relationships uh, is so very special. Everybody grieves differently. But, you know, to that this person has been part of his life for all of these years. And to not grieve would deny the, the importance of that person in your life. So you need to figure out a way just to grieve. And people grieve differently. And sometimes, you know, people try to dictate how a person should grieve when a loved one dies. Everybody grieves differently because that relationship is different. This is something that comes from deep down in our heart, you know, where the grieving takes place. And you need to do that before you can really move on. So that's what, you know, Abraham grieved and weeped for his wife. This great man who had all of these blessings in his life, when his wife dies, none of that's important because his wife has died. Everything else is set aside because his wife his most prized possession, so to speak, is no longer here. So it validates that person that has died and how special she was. So let's continue on verses three, and we'll continue on verse three. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites and the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, is in the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. So he begins by grieving and he wants to give a, what we'd say today, a proper burial for his wife. And uh, so break this down a little bit. It's like I said, it's unique details, but it is important. Yeah. And I think you, you twice in that, in those verses, we have the fact that he says, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. That is a reference to the fact that he wants to give her a very decent burial. He wants to have a very special place for her, and not in a negative way, out of my sight, but the reality is that when his loved one is buried, she's in a place which is a good place, and he knows he'll never see her again, but also he knows if he would go back to that place, his wife is out of his sight physically, that she's buried properly in that tomb, but also then she is never out of his sight according to his heart. So that's the twice he used is bury my dead out of my sight. That's in verse four, so verse eight. 
you know, a proper burial, very respectful burial for her who's there. And then you begin the process of the process of how the Hittites are going to respond to his request. And there is a reoccurring thought that goes on here, and that is that the Hittites say, well, just pick out a tomb, one of our tombs, and you can bury her there. We're not going to deny you burying your wife in one of our tombs. But that opens up a door that Abraham doesn't want to walk through. And that door is centered around, you know, you don't want to have somebody say to you, well, I gave you my tomb to bury your wife. Therefore, you owe me. You have to do something for me. And Abraham wants nothing to do with that because he realizes how precious and special this moment is. Um, So that's what goes into after the idea of being able to bury my wife in a proper way. Now, the Hittites, you know, the last thing Abraham needed was to have Hittites hold something over and uh, he said, I'm not going to have any of that. And I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 23 with Pastor Terry Finnern and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 23 with Pastor Terry Finnern from St. Paul and Mount Calvary Lutheran Churches in Meltona, Minnesota. Now that is, as we look at that, it is interesting that he very much so wants to make sure that it is a proper burial, like we would say today. The Hittites, which, you know, we don't, I guess we don't know a ton about the Hittites. You know, they were one's descendants of Heth, a son of Canaan. We see this in Genesis 26. We see it as part of that land of Canaan that Abraham was a foreigner to. We know this from obviously Genesis 12 on, that he didn't go there and start owning land, which is interesting because you think Father Abraham and many sons would have had a plot. You know, they would have said, okay, this is your area. So even there, this man of faith, this very prominent person did not own land and he had to ask a special request in order to bury his wife. So it, it, the humility that I, I see in this and the proper nature of grieving, the proper nature of burial, all of this really shows the humility and the faith of Abraham. Other thoughts? Yeah, and I think what you find out is that the blessing that God promised to give to Abraham, and he reiterated that at least two times, you know, the idea that your name will be honored and also you will have many possessions. And then that doesn't necessarily mean land, but he had many possessions and he would have many descendants. And so you had in this story, you find out that there are glimpses of the honor that the people of Canaan had for him. They held him under high regard. And there's no question that he had a lot of possessions, although he did not have land. 
And, you know, I think the reference to he was a nomad living in tents, that shows, but, you know, that was okay. He was able to wander throughout that country, but he had the respect of the people that he lived amongst. And that was, that is obvious, I believe, in this text as well. And he does, it, it does show that he bowed to the Hittites, which would not have been, it's not like they were these faithful people that were just, okay, I'm going to bow to them because they're with me theologically by any means. But he did so right. out of humility and respect for them. And then he requests the cave of Machpelah, which is just kind of interesting. I, I was kind of looking at a few maps and there's nothing really significant with that, but it, I mean, it is significant because of who's buried there, but it really, why he chose that, I'm not really sure. And any insights, yeah. any of those kind of dynamics? No, and I think going back to your bowing thing, you know, one of the, he does that, it's referred to twice in this chapter, mm -hmm. when he bows to them, you know, and when mom and I went to Japan, many years of these people do a lot of bowing, a lot of great respect. And, you know, to this very day, when I come to church at Mount Calvary, usually, because, you know, that I'm there first, you know, I've had in my, I have it ever since we went to Japan and came back, you know, there's a, I do a simple bow and the reality is that we, and I just do it, that's what I, but it's the respect for the people that you come in contact with and how you're saying to them, you're important, you're special to me. So you end up with this bowing, this, some, you know, this great respect he has for them. And then you, then you had this whole idea of the cave of Macra. There you have, you know, he has been in this territory before. He's familiar with, he's familiar with the, the land. He has had his herds there and his tents were there. So he was familiar with that. Now, why he picked that spot, I don't know. There's no reference at all, but maybe he said, that'd be a nice place to be buried. Maybe that was his, maybe that was his purpose. I don't know. He looked up, I looked up that name, you know, Mac and you, it's, I don't know, it appears to be by tradition, it's a name of a place which has, it's centered around the word and it was either a double cave. There was some people are saying, or maybe it was a burial cave for couples. They're not quite sure, but it looks like there is something going on here. If you use the word back to luck as the place where couples are buried, you know, you could say that this is, this is where he and Sarah were going to be buried, not just Sarah, but also himself. Uh, it turns out that later on we had Isaac and Rebecca were buried there and Jacob and Leah were buried there. So it's why he picked it out. I don't know if you go into a cemetery, uh, when mom and I decided to be buried in Appleton, we looked at the map and all the places available and he said, this is a good spot. And so maybe that's what Abraham did. But in that case, he was thinking ahead, at least when he was thinking about, okay, someday I'm going to die. Maybe that's why he chose it. I don't know. It's kind of intriguing, but he knew exactly where he wanted to bury his wife. He knew exactly where he wanted to put her. And he was willing to pay full price. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. that's something that is emphasized in verse nine, that this clearly was from the son of Zoar. They may give the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, is at the end of this field. So like you said, okay, that's a good spot. I want to go there for the full price. He was not going to allow them to give it to him for free. He wanted to make sure that he had paid the full price. Why? We don't really know. Like you said, there's some customs here that we probably are not really sure of those days, but we do know there's a certain amount of pride that I have done what is fair and honest, and I've done it for the sake of my wife having a place to rest, as we believe as Christians, for the hope of the resurrection when Jesus returns. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, yeah, just fascinating. It is the most ancient Jewish site 
There's actually a building there now. And they did find a double cave in that place I found a few years ago. And it's interesting that, you know, they're not only is that a place of tradition, the cave of Machpelah in, in Hebron, but it is something where they found maybe some more evidence that this was the actual place that, yeah. that they were buried and they even have a tomb to Abraham set aside in that area as well. So that'd be fascinating to go see someday, but that, who yeah. knows? Either way, we know what happened and we know what's there. So anything else, Dad, in the first nine verses? Well, you know, you end up with, you made that reference about full price and you know, the, you know, if you want to, if you want to look at it, um, you know, he wanted to pay full price. And the interesting thing was the full price that he was willing to pay. And I think the reality is that 400 shekels was a high price, that piece of property, you know, that's, I, you know, I don't know that specifically, but it appears that this, you know, this guy said, I will sell you this cave and I will sell you the field for this amount of money. And a lot of times they will do some, you know, it's just it's kind of the starting point. You can talk back and forth. Well, I'm not going to give you 400, but I'll give you three. But Abraham said, okay, I'll pay you. And he pays him immediately right there. And I think I, when I studied through this a number of years ago in Bible class, every opportunity that Abraham had to somehow just get by with finding a place for his wife to, to be buried. He made sure that everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. And the last thing he wanted to do was to give the Hittites or anybody else an opportunity to take advantage of him in the sense that, okay, you didn't pay enough for this piece of property. Therefore, we're going to take your wife out of this grave and you have to put her someplace else. There was an integrity that Abraham had that is evident all the way through this chapter. There was no way that they could doubt Abraham and his and his integrity or the God that he was serving. And if you end up with, as well, if you want to put the Christ goggle story into this, you find out that everything Jesus did was exactly the way it was reported it would be in the Old Testament, you know, that he did everything according to what the Scripture said he would be doing, so that there's no question, there's no doubt, as the Roman soldier would say, truly this was the Son of God. Everything that he did was exactly the way it was supposed to be to save us, and you can't find anything that says that he did something wrong, therefore that would bring into question everything he did. He did everything exactly like it was supposed to be for the credibility of the plan of salvation God gave to us. So that's what Abraham did. There's no question in my mind that he said, no, I'm going to do everything exactly right. And sometimes even, you know, with the 400, these 400 shekels of silver, an exorbitant price, according to what I've been able to find, 400 shekels of silver, I believe, or they believe it's about $100,000 today's money, but that's questionable, whatever it is. But, you know, it was, I will go the extra mile. I will do everything necessary to make sure this is done right. And I think that what you look at what the death of Jesus was, that's exactly what he did. He remained silent in front of Pontius Pilate, and he allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be beaten. He allows himself to be put on the cross to die for our sins. All that he did was above and beyond what would be expected of him from our perspective, but from our Father's perspective in heaven, it was exactly what needed to be done. So, yeah, uh, that this chapter emphasizes that so well. Let's keep moving forward. We have, uh, well, we're just getting towards the end of our time, and so let's keep moving forward. Verse 10. Now, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. 
Of all who went in at the gate of a city, know, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. Four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weight current, weights current among the merchants. So you really have kind of a unique story that unfolds that maybe isn't terribly clear. It does get to the end point, but it's kind of a strange addition. How do you make sense of this? So, you know, I looked at that phrase, you know, when Abraham said, I'll pay you the 400 shekels of silver. And then it has that phrase, which is according to the weight current among the merchants. All these people were sitting there at the gate, which is where these transactions supposedly took place. They were there, they were witnessed, and the weight current among the merchants, that was, they didn't have coin, they just had silver, and so it was a weight process. And 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight that they used to do their business. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't an amount of silver that Abraham would have used when he bought or sold something. It was the weight of the silver that the merchants who would have been there, who were doing business in that city or in that area, that's the weight that he used to determine the price for that piece of property. Again, so he allowed them, and that's not just to set the price, but also he allowed the people of that area to use their measurements of weight to decide how much silver was a valued amount for that property. So again, he allows them to make the decisions so that this deal could be taken care of, that they couldn't come back later on and say, you know, you didn't use the right kind of weight for the silver. He let them decide what that weight was and how to measure that weight. That's an interesting picture, again, of Abraham wanting to make sure that whatever he did was exactly the way it was supposed to be so that they couldn't get back later on and change the story. So as you look at this, it is, it's very, they're having a good conversation. I would say it that way. They're making good agreements, obviously because of all respect for one another, being upfront yep. with one another. Yeah. And uh, the emphasis is on a proper burial. Yep. Now, as we go through our time today and we have a funeral, there's a lot more discussion about, do we really need a funeral? I would say from all ages, actually, you know, from teenagers to elderly, there's a various, at least in Minnesota, that there's various arguments that will say, well, you know, do you need to do this? You don't need to do that. What would be your conversation with someone who says, I don't think we need a burial. We just, you know, cremate and be done and everyone is good. What would be your encouragement, especially in light of 23? why it's important for us to have something like a proper burial for our loved one. Well, I think, you know, the, everybody's got to make their own decisions. Then there's no question that the cost does come into the picture. But I think for me, when you look at, when you look at chapter 23, first of all, Abraham, Abraham grieved for his wife and he cried for his wife and he loved his wife, but he also, now his wife had died. So he needed to move on. 
And so he wanted to make sure that things were done out of respect for her. And you can do that in different ways. But I think there are two perspectives. One of them is you can just choose to look back and see what was going on in that person's life and to celebrate that. But we as Christians know that there is something which goes beyond this earthly life. And that is the eternity we have in Jesus, where we shall be living in the uh, living in the, into the future with our Lord in heaven. It's interesting to note that in this chapter, uh, after all these things are done and after uh, Abraham has buried his wife, Moses goes into chapter 24, and what he says in chapter 24 was he makes a reference to Abraham. In chapter 24, verse 1, Abraham was old, well in advance of years. And then you add into verse 1 of chapter 24, the phrase, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So that goes back to chapter 12 and the other times when God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to prosper you. And the reality then was, okay, at the that whole chapter 24 is an interesting chapter where now Isaac and Rebecca are brought into the picture as husband and wife. And that takes the story about Abraham and Sarah and moves it into the next generation. And then subsequently, that story, the promises of God about a Savior coming, go into the next generation with Jacob and the next generation, all building upon the promise of God that that he will continue to bless us in our earthly journey. But ultimately, it is not what we have on this earth that is going to be the final blessing, but with him in heaven. And so the reality is that as we plan for funerals of our loved ones, we cherish all of those memories. But the final thing for us as believers is, as you, you know, the hope that we have in the resurrection, we focus only upon, we don't want to do this or don't do that. That's fine. We can do that. And we don't want to have to, you don't want to have to go overboard and spend a lot of money on something that you really don't need. But there needs to be some kind of an opportunity to talk about of this loved one, how special they were, but also to incorporate into their death of their loved ones, the assurances we have of the resurrection, which is ours in Jesus. So, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to go overboard in spending, but at the same time, we need to set aside time and energy and some of our financial stuff to make sure that the burial is correct in honor of, and you know, people are very vulnerable when it comes to those moments. They haven't thought through this ahead of time. All of a sudden, there's a vulnerability that is there about decisions we make, and you need to somehow plan some of that ahead of time. And I think that will help that will help us do a better job of honoring those who have died. We need to take time to say our proper goodbyes, but not at the expense of, of what everybody else says, but what as Jesus talks to us about our own resurrection and our life to come. And that's why I encourage you, our listeners, that as you go through the process of preparing for a funeral, as a Christian, it's it's important for you to set out what you want to have in your funeral for the sake of your children, for the sake of the church, because funerals are something where the promises of Christ and his resurrection are all out. There's no question that we need help because this person has passed from this earth. This person is no longer breathing on this side, and therefore they need a victory. <laughs> we need a resurrection in order to have hope. And that's exactly why we have a funeral as Christians, is that people will hear the hope that they have in Christ. So, right. so Dad, as we are here now in verse 17 through 20, and just wanted to check one more time, is there anything else that you have for our first 16 verses of Genesis 23? 
Well, I think we're covered it pretty well. It, it is, an, it's an interesting thing. You're, every time you read it, you see something just different. But you know, we're I think we're I think we're ready for the last verses. All right, so let's keep reading. Verse seventeen. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that were in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So we do get this feel of someone getting buried among unbelievers. <laughs> right. And you definitely have this, this connection to Christ in this sense that, you know, that he bore our iniquities that he, although he said nothing, you know, that it was like a sheep before his shears did not open his. And here we have just the burial happens. She's buried among the Hittites, but yet that did not change her relationship or her connection to God. So any thoughts on those last few verses in chapter 23? You know, I, the only, I really don't, but you know, you find out that what these verses 17 through 20 do, it said it's done. You know, Abraham did what he wanted to do to honor his wife. And what happened also is that became a, that became a reminder to everybody who lived around there that this is Abraham's field. This is the place where Abraham's wife was buried. And the respect that people had for Abraham would also give them a chance to, to tell the next generation who Abraham was. And then this is where Abraham was buried. And lo and behold, later on, you have Isaac and Rebecca. They die, and now they go back there again, and they buried Rebecca and Isaac. And people around who maybe were not alive before now would see, okay, this is, this is from that thing. And then you had with Jacob was buried there, and then Leah was buried there. And Jacob specifically, you know, he brought his bones back from Egypt. This became a constant reminder of, of that family and the promises that God had made to that family. And I think when you have your, you know, you have people wander through cemeteries and there's maybe a memorial weekend, or maybe it is a Maybe it is, you know, they're just going home and they want to visit the grave of their grandpa or grandma. We're going to be uh, the first part of August. My, my, my last uncle on my mother's side, Uncle Earl, is going to have his funeral. And he's going to be buried up in um, the place where my mother grew up, which is West Township in Jackson County, Minnesota. And, you know, you walk to a cemetery and you say, I, I remember that name. I remember those people. It becomes a reminder uh, who those people are, but also when you look at their two gravestones, you know, their markers, you know, it's amazing what people put on those markers and the most important possession we have is our faith in Jesus. And so there are some really special markings on some of these tombstones which remind us of Jesus and what he has done for us. So it becomes an ongoing leader of the faith of those people who died and for Abraham and for his family, those who followed him. That field, and even to this very day, it is, as you mentioned before, that place is the oldest sacred place in the Israel because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then you have Sarah and 
Rebecca and also Leah are buried there. This is a reminder of God's promises to his people. And as believers in Christ, it is fulfillment in Christ that we have that same comfort. So it's, a, it's an ongoing reminder. And there are some special ways, as we think about what we have put on our tombstone, special ways that we can remind people how precious our life in Jesus is. And that's what happened there. And so, Dad, as we have about a minute left in our time, how would you summarize this great chapter and encourage our guests in Christ? Well, I think the uh, for Abraham, he was the first of all the generations. And, you know, he is identified as a man of faith. Sarah is also identified as a woman of faith. You don't hear that, I believe, of any other woman, but Sarah is. And she is the only one identified as an age when she dies. There was a credibility that they had, even though they, you know, they, they were sinful people and they didn't always do the giving perfect, far from it. They understood the forgiveness of God and his promises to them. And so, you know, for you and I, as we deal with all the things in our life, what we have received, a lot of us from the generation before, we pass on to generations to come. And the last testament that we can give people is on our tombstone to say our name, but also somehow reminding people of our faith in Jesus. And that is, that is a special opportunity we have. Pastor Terry Finneran of Mount Calvary and St. Paul Lutheran Churches in Miltona, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 23. Dad, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You have a blessed day, Brady. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, president of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.